We had a wonderful time yesterday with the men. There are some interesting guys in that mix, I, I want to say. Kind of different dudes in there, but all warm-hearted and interested in, uh, in the Lord. And I, I say that uh, just for fun. We, had a, we, we laughed a little bit yesterday in our Bible intensive, and um, I, uh, I, I was genuinely encouraged just at the, the interest of the men and the joy the men had, and they really did have to endure. I mean, you know, you're starting at 9 a.m., and we did break, we had barbecue at lunch, which was a lot of fun. And, uh, but then after lunch, we just kept going and we were studying, you know, inductive Bible study. Just, it's called a Bible intensive. And the afternoon is the intensive part when you're trying to uh, stay alert and keep going. Kind of like those of you who are back from Germany are uh, feeling the, the weakness of jet lag. And you're going to have to fight to stay alert this morning. I, I get it totally. And if anybody dozes off, you won't offend me. So no worries there. Uh, but it, it's been a joy to be here. I'm thankful to Michael, uh, Pastor Michael, for the invitation. And uh, I've enjoyed getting to know the, the guys, but also uh, got to spend time with the, the pastoral team. When we first arrived, David and I got to go out to eat and uh, enjoyed Mexican food with those guys and uh, had, a, had a good time. Just again, I, I really appreciate tender-hearted men who love the Lord and are interested in, in, in the Bible and doing what, what uh, the Lord wants, listening to the head of the church. So uh, it's good to... Part of my life is getting to be in churches around the country and around the world. And God has His people. It, and uh, there are different, uh, you know, cultures and characteristics. Uh, even going from here up to Nashville, I bet, is a little bit different, isn't it? Just the, the culture can shift a little bit. But that's just God's design. Uh, His creativity and saving people from all kind of walks of life, even all all ethnicities, and um, so it, I, I get the privilege of getting around and seeing different people, and this has been a delight to be here with you, and I hope we can do it again at some point. Um, I do bring you greetings from our church, Christ Fellowship of Kansas City, and um, I also bring you greetings, so I'm one of the pastors in Christ Fellowship, and I also bring you greetings from a ministry that I'm part of, Christian Communicators Worldwide. And um, I won't bore you with the details about that ministry, but if you are interested, that little book that I wrote on John Wycliffe, on the back, our website is there, ccwtoday.org, and there may be something there that might be a help to you. That book on John Wycliffe, it's a short little book, I think it's 70 or 75 pages, short chapters, and um, the title of it is Wycliffe, A Bible Man in England When There Was No English Bible. And when you think about the 1300s, there were portions of the Bible translated into English in certain places, but no complete Bible, not even close. And even if there would have been, you weren't allowed to have it, or you would have been in big trouble, maybe even you would have died. And Wycliffe, man, he just came in there and took the Latin, and translated it into English, 
And it was dangerous to do that. And his story of standing for the truth, standing for the gospel, standing for the authority of Scripture is worth reading about. And I wrote the book and the, the little chapters in such a way that I hope it's not boring. <laughs> so, you know, we've all read history that it can be kind of boring. And I tried to make it colorful, true, but colorful, and include even some application. So one thing that's happening with that book is families are reading it together. And so they're just gathering, reading, you know, uh, I've forgotten, is it eight chapters? Funny, I can't remember. But just a short chapter, maybe read a chapter a night. And it's intentionally, there's some application-oriented ideas there for you to think about as well from that book. So I hope you'll pick it up. And um, we, we, we need to remember some of these men and women who sacrificed much so that we can now have how many translations in our own language? And we've got, how many Bibles do you have in your house? You know, one time I counted, I think we had 40 uh, English Bibles. And then now we have on our phones and technology, everything we've got. All, we are unbelievably blessed. And don't forget, a lot of people sacrificed, even their lives, that we might have, have the Scriptures in our language And so hopefully it's an inspiring little book for you and leads to some good discussion there in your family. So let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm 36. Psalm 36. Psalm 36 has the superscription to the choir master of David, the servant of Yahweh, the servant of the Lord. Psalm 36, 12 verses. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. He plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Oh, continue your steadfast love to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright of heart. Let not the foot of arrogance come upon me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the evildoers lie fallen. They are thrust down, unable to rise. Well, let's pray together. Oh Lord, as we consider this psalm, use it in a, in a way that really counts. 
I am somebody that is not known here. And that can create just questions and a dynamic where maybe we just are, are watching the person in front of us that we've never met before. Lord, please don't let that happen. I pray that the truth of these, the, 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 this song, the truth, would be what is central and heard and received and that your people are encouraged and helped to think about your steadfast love and that those who are not yet believing would hear of this great love and be compelled and drawn to the Savior. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I, I don't know if any of the men yesterday had this experience. I'm not presuming that it did happen. But many of us have had an experience when we've been to a retreat or we've been to a Bible conference or we've been to a camp for a few days or for a week where we, we experience what um, some might call a spiritual high. Have you ever had that experience where you just... You're just on a spiritual high. And, and maybe at that camp or at that conference, you made some personal resolves uh, for things to change. This to change or that to change once you are back home. So I can remember years ago, uh, a men's retreat we had in our church. And the theme for the weekend was prayer and God just moved among the men that weekend, and there were some uh, men who were stating in so many words that this is just, I'm just experiencing the Lord like I've never experienced Him before. I'm on a kind of a spiritual high, and this is going to change when I get home, and that's going to change when I get home. And by the way, I'm not against that. Are, are you against that? I wouldn't be against that. I like that thought. I like that idea. We should long for those kinds of things to happen when we gather for these special events, these camps, these retreats, these, these conferences. Um, the, uh, the truth in these moments, in these experiences, like we had yesterday or like you've experienced at a conference, the truth is on full blast. It's kind of like the air conditioner right now in your car. And you walk, when you walk through the, what are we walking through out there right now? We're, you're walking through something thick. And you get in the car and you turn the AC on full blast because you want that cold air. Well, you go to these conferences, you go to these retreats, and the truth is on full blast. That's a good thing. And then it's no wonder then that in these moments, in these experiences, some people are converted. Because the Spirit of God is delighted to come behind the truth of God and to use it. That's, in fact, that's what He does in the conversion of an individual. So uh, we can't guarantee any conversion, but the more the seed is sown, don't be surprised that you're going to see people converted. That just seems to be what uh, happens. And then 
um, as well, it's, it's no surprise in those moments that so much, with so much Bible, with so much Bible talk going on, that God's people, maybe you're already a believer, but you're there, and you're just hearing the truth over and over and over and over, it's no surprise that, um, uh, that you, you maybe go to heights spiritually, maybe that you've never gone to before. It's no surprise. And that these resolves for this or that in your life are coming out, and you're determining things are going to be different once I get home. But then you get home. Then you're home. And now what? Well, there may be a bit of an afterglow initially. So, David and I. Uh, the past couple years, and I've been there a few more, a couple more years than that. We take our youth to a youth camp every summer, and it's a wonderful youth camp. The gospel is proclaimed clearly; it's really well done. Everything's well done. God has worked in the lives of our youth at this camp. Well, He worked in the lives of our youth this past June, and we saw at least two. Uh, well. We saw two young people gain assurance of salvation. They were recently baptized. And maybe one young man has been converted. And other young people were just, we had 20 some, 25 or something like that youth there. It was just a wonderful week. It was Monday to Friday. And I have to confess, on Friday, I was kind of on a spiritual high. I was ready to get home because I was uh, with another guy. We were in the, uh, the, the middle school dorm room, and there was a smell by about Thursday that kind of said, yep, it's time to go home. But I was on this kind of spiritual high from what God had done that week at camp. And, and, and so then even on Saturday, I'm still up there. And I'm out, and there's some construction going on where I'm living, and so it's making traffic a bit chaotic on kind of our main drag. And you know how it goes. There's some pretty bad drivers out there when traffic is, well, it doesn't even have to be chaotic traffic, and there can be bad drivers. But there were that day, I'm out on 45, Highway 45, and, um, but there, I, I, was, I was at peace. I was at rest. And so, you know, three or four bad drivers, and then one really bad one just cuts me off. And I'm just in my spirit. I'm just kind of like, it's okay. I love you. Go ahead. Cut me off. I want to I tell you about Jesus. That's Saturday. On Monday, I'm back out there on Highway 45. And would you believe it? The same bad drivers are out there. But something was different about my spirit on Monday. Something had kind of changed. I wasn't as patient. I wasn't as kind. Well, I was kind of coming down off of that spiritual high. Here's the truth of the matter. It's not realistic to maintain a spiritual high every day of your life, but we can avoid spiritual lows. Let me put it another way. 
We may not achieve everything we hoped we would achieve regarding certain commitments we made at the camp or at the retreat or at the conference. We are, we are weak people. We are, going to, we are going to have difficulties. We are going to feel our weaknesses. We are going to fail sometimes. But a characteristic of faithfulness to the Lord is possible. In fact, I would say it's what's going to happen in the life of a believer as the, a true believer. The trajectory is, Christ said, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. But how? How is it possible? Well, if I had, I'm going to give you two titles for this message. An, an opening title for this, this message on Psalm 36, then I'm going to give you a title at the end. I'm going to change the title at the end. So, the opening title is, After the Spiritual High Wears Off. That's that's the opening title here from Psalm 36. Psalm 36 is going to be a great help to us as we think about these things. After the spiritual high wears off. But not just life after camp or after the conference or after the retreat. But Psalm 36 is going to help us think about how are we going to make it to the end? How are we going to persevere? I mean, don't you want that? Aren't you tired of seeing people that maybe even were on fire for the Lord just falling away? I don't want that in my life. I'm sure you don't want that in your life. So how are we going to make it. Well, the psalm begins by saying to us something. If, if you're a note taker, this is the first thing you would want to write down. This is what the psalm begins say, by, by saying to us. It says, look at this wicked world seeking to destroy us. That's how the psalm begins. Look at this wicked world seeking to destroy us. The first four verses are really a sickening picture of a lost person. They, the first four verses show sin's genesis in the heart that ultimately results in wicked words and in wicked schemes and in wicked behavior. So this individual wicked person that we read about in the first four verses is representative of individuals who are seeking to destroy God's people. Now, the first verse is a little tricky. We may have different Bible translations uh, going. I'm I'm sure we do out there. Some translations with verse 1 go with something that is happening within David's heart. So, it would begin, an oracle within my heart concerning the transgression of the wicked. And so, the idea would be, David has this oracle within his heart about the wicked person, and then he communicates that. Or it could be something like, I have the English Standard Version, and it could be something like the way the ESV translates it, transgression is personified as speaking to the heart of the wicked person. So it says, transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. 
Well, either translation, they're they're good arguments you could make for one or the other. They essentially get you to the same conclusion. But if the ESV is correct, then it's really quite a picture, isn't it? Sin is talking to this guy. Sin is leading this, this guy. Sin is deceiving, fooling this man. So then, the psalm continues, there is no fear of God before His eyes. The Apostle Paul quotes that in Romans 3.18 in that section where he's talking about um, Jew, all are under sin, Jew and Gentile. There is no fear of God before His eyes. And so when you suppress the reality of an awesome and righteous God, the restraints are off and it's only a matter of time before the sin is going to come spilling out and sometimes exploding out like fireworks on July 4th. And then look at, look at how deceived this man really is. Verse 2. For he flatters himself in his own eyes that his eyes uh, that that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. He thinks so highly of himself that he doesn't hate his sin and he doesn't think anybody else would hate his sin, and he deceives himself into thinking that he's going to get away with it. There are going to be no consequences for this kind of wicked lifestyle. And so with all of that happening internally, it's no wonder what results. Verses 3 and 4. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. He plots trouble while on his bed. Let Let me pause there. I just wonder if there are some here, you would just be honest. I always appreciate honesty in this realm. You would be honest and you would say, that's me in verses 1 through 4. That's, that's who I am right now. In fact, you might even say, that was me last night on my bed. I was plotting trouble. I was, I was thinking, man, the next time she says that, I'm going to, the next opportunity I get to do that, I'm going to, just plotting trouble. Is that you? Is that who you are? He continues, he sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. So, do you understand what's happening? What's being described? What starts in the heart comes out in all of this ugliness. And again, if you are saying, somebody, multiple people may be here, and you're saying, maybe. I, I hope you're being honest and saying, this is so much my life. I hope you are also saying, and honestly, I hate it. Because it's actually not doing me any good. It's never really been satisfying. And if that is you, 
I just want you to please keep listening. Because in this psalm and in the Bible, there's freedom ahead here. So, so hang on. Keep listening. Now, we only realize that this description in verses 1 through 4 is telling us what we're up against as believers when we, when we blip down to verse 11. Because down in verse 11, note, the wicked person is mentioned in verse 1, and then the wicked person is mentioned in verse 11. And in verse 11, we see that the wicked person, wicked people don't keep to themselves. They are after God's people. Verse 11, the prayer, let not the foot of arrogance come upon me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. So this is the world you walk back into after camp. This is the world you walk back into after that spiritual high experience at the conference. This is the world you walk back into after the retreat. This is the wicked world we face most of the days of our lives. It's the realm led by Satan who is so interested in snatching any good seed that has ever been sown in our hearts away from us. He is so interested in tempting us through various avenues, various means, to walk away from this Lord back into this kind of sin of verses 1-4. through See, the type of person here mentioned in verses 1-4 through is not content to leave believers alone. And I I just know if we just had testimony time now, we would be here a while. There are stories here to say, yeah, that's true. Let me tell you a story about my work situation. Let me tell you a story about what's happening in my family right now because I'm standing for righteousness and my family hates Jesus. Let me, let me tell you a story. And then we could so easily find brothers and sisters around the world who, I mean, all you have to do is go to persecution.org and probably one or two of the main stories on there is going to be about wicked people going after God's people. It's just the reality. This is the world in which we live. It can feel a little more oppressive sometimes. It feels like we might be in a, that kind of a state at this point in our culture and in our country. We may have a debate about that, but we know the big idea and the big point is true. And it's just helpful to know this is the normal situation. It's just helpful to know this is the, the normal, this is the reality in our neighborhoods. This is the reality at work. This is the reality for some of us when we go to that family gathering at Thanksgiving or at Christmas. It's helpful to know this because when the attack comes, you won't be surprised. We should not be surprised. We should remain sober. Understanding this is the wicked world in which we live. You won't be surprised. And... Knowing this is the reality will help us to steer clear of being tempted to go back. It's not worth it. 
So look at this wicked world seeking to destroy us. That's what, that's what we're up against. But where is the hope in all of this? Well, Psalm 36 continues, thankfully. So second of all, not only should we look at this wicked world seeking to destroy us, but Psalm 36 says to us, secondly, look at this awesome God committed to loving us. Just look at Him. The psalmist is going to help us. David's going to help us. Look at this awesome God committing to, committed to loving us. My 20-year-old daughter, when she was a little younger, mid-teens, she had a lot to say. She just had a lot to say. She was kind of the entertainment at supper. Just sitting, she just she had things to. By the way, she's she's happy for me to share this. She knows it's true. She was just converted last year. By the way, wonderful. That's another story for another time. But she just had a lot to say, and um, we we usually appreciated it. But occasionally, she would like start using a word that like you know like it just wasn't great that like. She was using like that word, you know, like, like you know, a lot, like really, really a lot. And so, at the supper table, I would employ a twenty-five cent rule, and I would say to Katie, from from this point to the end of supper. Every misuse of the word like, you owe me 25 cents. So every once in a while, I'd make a couple bucks at supper. You know, it was a pretty good gig uh, as a father. The Lord has a favorite word in the Old Testament. One of his favorite words is found in this psalm. It's, it's a word that's used 200, about 250 times in the Old Testament. We want to hear it. We should love this word. Um, it's, it's the Hebrew, I'm just going to give you the Hebrew word. It's the Hebrew word hesed. It's translated here in Psalm 36 in verses 5, 7, and 10. It's translated as steadfast love. Do you see that in verse 5? Your steadfast love, O Yahweh, extends to the heavens. Verse 7, how precious is your hesed, your steadfast love, O God. And then verse 10, O continue your steadfast love to those who know you. It's sometimes translated, not steadfast love, it's sometimes translated loving kindness. I actually think that's a little weak. It's also translated sometimes loyal love. That's pretty good. Or unfailing love. That gets at the idea. It's, it's Yahweh's covenant love, which is to say it's His committed love. It's His, He will hold me fast even though my love is often cold kind of love. Do you sing that song, He will hold me fast? That, that hymn is what we're talking about when we're thinking of this word. There's another hymn, uh, Matheson, is it? It's, it's his love that will not let me go. 
That's what this, this idea, this steadfast love is. There was a pastor in Scotland. His name was William Still. I can't remember. Did he die in the 90s or the early 2000s? I can't remember. But he was a pastor for, of the same church, I think, for 50 years, something like that. Faithful Bible teacher. And um, I, I read a story about him that gives us kind of a sense of this idea of hesed or steadfast love. Um, he had a little period in his ministry when all that he was uh, kind of preaching over and over and over to, to his church was on the judgment of God and hell. <laughs> Just over and over and over. And um, his aunt lived with him, and she took care of the house, and she, she made his meals, and she was a member of the church. And so they were sitting there one Sunday at lunch, and um, she said to William Still, she, she said, I'm sitting there with them in the pew and taking it all. I feel for them. Oh, Willie, is there no love in the gospel? And so Willie, William Still, responded, um, he kind of defended himself. He said, well, judgment, hell, it's in the Bible. People need to hear that. God's put it on my heart to keep, you know, keep saying this to them over and over, and, and his aunt responded to him. She said, well, if it goes on, there will soon be no one there but you and me. And uh, William still said, and you will desert me? And his aunt said, never. I committed myself to you and the Lord's work here, and I will never leave you. That's steadfast love. That's what we're seeing about the Lord here in Psalm 36. So, do you understand what David does? Is He's setting up a contrast. We've got this wicked people who will seek to destroy us. In contrast to that, he shows us this awesome God who is committed to loving His people. Now I'm, gonna, I'm going to summarize His um, steadfast love as it is explained in verses 5-10 through 10 under two words. The first word is bigness, and the second word is preciousness. So first of all, the bigness of the Lord's steadfast love is seen in verses 5-6. through 6. Look at verses 5 through 6. Now, steadfast love, it, the verses move from that phrase, steadfast love, to the Lord's faithfulness and righteousness and judgments. I get that, but it's all essentially defining His steadfast love. So, what we see in these verses is the bigness, the enormity of Yahweh's committed love. His steadfast love. So look at the verses. His steadfast love extends to the heavens. That's way up there. His faithfulness extends all the way up to the clouds. His righteousness, meaning His right actions toward His people, is like the mountains of God. Well, what does that mean? Well, 
It's just a poetic way of speaking of the highest mountains. Again, he's just straining to explain the, just the extent, just how massive this love of God is, this committed love for His people. And then from great heights, he moves to incredible depths. Your judgments are like the great deep. Again, that just shows the vastness, the extent of His justice and of His governance. Even the statement at the end of verse 6 points to the massive reach of the Lord's steadfast love. Man and beast you save, O Lord. Massive reach. Now let me just pause again and say to some of you who are here, that are being honest, and you're saying, that's me in verses 1 through 4. I, I'm, I'm still in verses 1 through 4. I'm the lost person. I'm the one who's plotting on my bed wickedness. And I hope you're saying, but, but this life is getting me nowhere. I hate it. I need to be delivered from it. But maybe you're also saying, but I wonder if I could be reached. I mean, could the, the grace of God actually reach me? Verses 5 and 6, and the rest of the Bible say yes. Yes. The extent to which the Lord will go would include even you, no matter how low you have gone. When Jesus died on the cross... He died, yes, for sinners. But there is a category of individual that are some of the most despicable sinners who have ever lived on this earth. You understand what I mean? We all are born in sin. We all sin. We've all done bad things. But then there are some individuals who have, who have acted out in certain ways that are unbelievably bad. And I just want to tell you that the older I get, the more stories I hear about God saving some of the worst people who have ever walked around in this world. I'm just saying that the evidence is mounting. The evidence is mounting that Jesus Christ will not reject any who come to Him. In fact, he has a perfect record of receiving all who come to him by faith. The resurrected Christ welcomes sinners. In fact, he only welcomes sinners, those who are sick and who know they need a Savior. And all of verses 5 and 6 together, when you look at it, it's like the dimensions of the Lord's steadfast love are so great, you actually can't even calculate it. So I just want to say to you, if, if you are in verses 1-4, through four, but today you're saying, this is actually, I'm, I'm hearing something. Maybe for the first time you're actually hearing, your eyes are being opened to your need and a way out. And this way out is the, is the Son of God, Jesus Christ. I just want to say to you, go to Jesus and He will receive you. He will save you. Your sins will be forgiven. You'll be reconciled to God. 
It's the steadfast love. You're going to experience that. You're going to enter into this kind of relationship such that He will not let you go. So that's the bigness of the steadfast love of the Lord. We move to the preciousness. Second of all, the preciousness of the Lord's steadfast love in verses 7-9. through Verse 7, how precious is your steadfast love, O God. Why is it precious to David? It's precious, first of all, because it brings protection. That's verse 7. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. You remember Jesus said He he longed to do this for Jerusalem? But they they rejected Him. And, And then... Jesus does this as as our good shepherd who, you know, He leads His people. He goes before them as the warrior shepherd. It's protection. And then, the steadfast love of God is precious because it brings provision. Look at verse 8. They feast on the abundance of your house and you give them drink from the river of your delights. And the word delights is the, is the Hebrew word Eden. So there's possibly an, allu- an allusion here to the original garden with its four rivers flowing from it. So what would the point be then? The, or what is the point? The point is the abundance of provision for God's children. You remember Jesus, the Good Shepherd passage again? He says that His sheep go in and out and they find pasture. That's the idea. Christ's sheep. The the Good Shepherd provides His, His presence and His words and His promises and His peace and His protection and joy, soul-strengthening blessings in abundance. That's what we have in Christ. That's the steadfast love of God. And this protection and this provision is possible because, look at verse 9. It begins with the little word for. For with you is the fountain of life, In your light do we see light. And so what does a fountain do? A fountain just keeps flowing and flowing and flowing and flowing. And so from the Lord we can receive spiritual sustenance constantly. He is the fountain of life. And it's only by His illumination that we may see light. Meaning, live this life with Understanding and clarity, that's the idea of in your light do we see light. Now, remember, uh, the one who brings us out of darkness into the light is Jesus, the light of the world. So, verse 9 is highlighting the proficiency of the Lord in this category of being loyally loving. In other words, He's able to do this. It's no problem for him at all. No sweat. He is totally proficient in providing. Totally proficient in protecting. He is perfect in his steadfast love. He is proficient in his steadfast love. 
So, in your mind, go back to camp. Go back to the retreat. Go back to the conference. Go back to that time when you were experiencing a spiritual high. All right? You thinking about it? Okay. Now go home. Travel home. Look at this wicked world seeking to destroy us. But, and here's the wonderful contrast in Psalm 36, look at this awesome God committed to loving you. Jesus Himself maybe summarized the teaching of Psalm 36 when He said, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have what? I have overcome the world. But you, you don't take heart because you're apart from, the, from Jesus. You take heart because if you're with Him, then you're going to be okay. Here's another way to uh, communicate what this psalm is saying to believers who are wanting to persevere to the end. This psalm is saying, number one, recognize what you're up against. It's a wicked world. But number two, remember who is on your side and rely on Him. Jesus, I just want to read a couple of verses from John 10. Jesus, that that I think are very fitting. I've referenced the Good Shepherd portion. Jesus said in John... Actually, John 6 is where I want to start. John 6, all that the Father gives me... This is verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of My Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. That's steadfast love. Or John 10, 27-29. My sheep hear My voice and I know them, and they follow Me. And, and some of you are wanting to emphasize, me to emphasize more. How am I going to make it to the end? And you're, you're wanting me to emphasize more. Well, you follow Jesus. And I get that. I, I believe that. But that's not the point of the psalm. The point of the psalm is, by the grace of God... That's our only hope that He holds us fast. That, that's the only, our only hope. So the, Jesus here, John, continues, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of My hand. My Father who has given them to Me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. That's the steadfast love of our triune God. He will hold us fast. So, in the world of Special Olympics, so I have a, a, a daughter who has intellectual disabilities, and so she's in, engaged in Special Olympics. And in that um, world, uh, there's a phrase, I'm sure this phrase is outside of that world, but it's really taken hold in, in the world of Special Olympics. 
And um, it's, it's the, uh, the encouragement, you got this. You got this. And I kind of like it in that, in that realm. I, re- I really enjoy that uh, idea and encouraging these, these individuals who have really had to fight to overcome certain things, and they're out there. <laughs> um, and so uh, a few months ago, um, I, I, I had this experience. I don't know if I used the phrase or not, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to act like I did, okay? But what happened is true. My daughter, she's in Special Olympics, and she's a swimmer. And um, she's in lane number two. And her competition is in lane number four, lane number six, and lane number eight. And uh, the guy's down there, he's got the little cap gun. He's about to shoot off for them to, uh, you know, burst. I think it was just one time down. What is that 25 meters? Is that what that is, I think? So it's just one time down, you know, all you got to get to the other side. And um, just before the guy shoots the little cap gun and they go, I can imagine myself yelling at Lily, yelling for Lily, let's go, Lily, you got this. You know, we're up there in the stands and the fans are there about ready to watch this race. And let me just tell you, the gun went off and she had it. She, she got this, man. She burst through there, you know, and it was a gold medal, and she did it. It was great. You're supposed to be more excited for my daughter than you are right now. <laughs> the teaching of Psalm 36 is not, you got this. The teaching of Psalm 36 is, He got this. So that's the new title for this message. After the spiritual high wears off. That's kind of negative. Let's let's throw that in the trash. And let's title it, He Got This. The psalm is, um, I've heard others mention this, the psalmist is really telling us, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. So, it's no wonder then that the psalm ends with David praying in verses 10 and 11, Oh, continue your steadfast love to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright of heart. Let not the foot of arrogance come upon me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. It's no wonder he prays that. He is very, very aware of of, of what he's going to say in verse 12. In verse 12, there the evildoers lie fallen. They are thrust down, unable to rise. That's really pointing forward to uh, the end and judgment and so forth. He, He knows that's what's coming, but it's not here yet. And so today, right now, he needs the steadfast love of the Lord in his life. And so it's pretty interesting, isn't it? He prays for what is guaranteed. That's a pretty good way to pray. <laughs> to pray for what is guaranteed. Praying for the steadfast love of the Lord. So, last thing here and I'll be done. When you wake up tomorrow, I want to I suggest you might start your day this way. Now, I know that we typically pray to the Father in the name of Jesus empowered by the Spirit of God. That, that's the normal pattern of praying. 
I think it is okay sometimes to talk to the Spirit, and sometimes it's okay to talk to Jesus. And I want to encourage you to talk to Jesus tomorrow morning when you get up. And you might pray something like this, Lord Jesus, it's a new day in a wicked world. I need your help. You gave your life for me. And you are now the risen Lord of heaven and earth. You are strong. You are kind. You are my shepherd. You are forever committed to me. Strengthen me today against the world's schemes and the devil's schemes. Otherwise, I will fail. I will fall. And then, if you'll allow me, if, if we could imagine Jesus responding, how, how would He respond, perhaps? I think He might respond with something like this. I think He might, he might look at Tom, and He might say, Tom, good morning. Now, does Jesus talk that way? I think He does. I think He's very pleasant. He, he, if, he gave His life for Tom. He, he actually likes Tom. Hard to believe, isn't it? <laughs> but good morning, Tom. I love it. I can imagine him saying, I love it when you come to me like this and honor me like this. It's, it's good to have this relationship with you. Yes, I will protect you and provide you with everything you need today. Don't you worry about a thing. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I look forward to hearing from you again tomorrow, if not before. I love you, Tom. What a friend we have in Jesus. Let's pray together. The Lord, please use this psalm and this psalm's connection to the storyline of Scripture centered upon Jesus in our lives powerfully. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and respond and sing, There is Redeemer.